You guys ever found yourself in a situation that you didn't intend to be in? Do you ever find yourself in a place you didn't plan to be? For instance, a divorce, um, a medical crisis, the death of a loved one, a traumatic experience of any kind. You know, when we find ourselves in a situation like that, it can make us feel as if our lives were totally upended. When the army of the Babylonians overran Jerusalem, torched and pulled down the temple, and then sent Jerusalem citizens into exile, it was a profoundly disorienting, deeply distressing time for the people of God. They never thought that they would have found themselves in that situation. But the Lord had a message for the exiles, a message that was so powerful and so important that it fueled their hopes and helped them not only to survive, but actually to thrive during their captivity. That same message has given hope to countless generations since. This weekend, we are concluding our message series on the texts that have touched us uh, with arguably one of the best-known verses in Scripture. It's one of the most popular verses in Scripture, one of the most quoted verses in Scripture, according to version. This is a verse that was chosen by Stonebridge member Carrie Fields. Let's listen as she shares it with us this morning. Hello, my name is Carrie Fields. And I'm going to talk to you about Jeremiah 29:11. For I know the thoughts I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Other translations, the NIV. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. These words are spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah lived about a hundred years after the prophet Isaiah. And just as the prophet Isaiah had helped save Jerusalem from destruction by the Assyrian army, the, uh, the Assyrians uh, was the superpower of that day that overrun and, overran and ultimately destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel. Jeremiah hoped to save the people of Jerusalem from the next great superpower, the Babylonians. God sent Jeremiah to tell his people that if they turned from their idolatry, if they stopped worshiping foreign and false gods, if they turned from evil, God would protect them. God would protect his temple and the holy city. But if they did not repent, if they did not turn from idolatry and wickedness, um, what would have otherwise been avoidable disaster awaited them. Now, while Jeremiah is giving this warning to the people of Jerusalem, at the very same time, there are other, um, and, and by the way, far more popular prophets who were telling the people of Jerusalem not to worry about it. They were telling them, no, you guys are safe. You shouldn't worry because God would never 
allow his holy city or his holy temple to fall into enemy hands. For decades then, Jeremiah suffered ridicule as he shared God's message in the hopes that his people would repent. And as we know from history, the people did not repent. And as a result of that, in 586 B.C., the city of Jerusalem and the holy temple of God were burned to the ground. And Jerusalem's citizens were carried away into exile in Babylon. Now the interesting thing is, once the Jerusalem is destroyed, uh, Jeremiah no longer has the responsibility of warning the people of Jerusalem what's going to happen because it's already happened. And so God gives Jeremiah a fresh word, a new word. Having spent decades up to this point warning God's people about the impending tragedy that happened, Jeremiah is now called by God to communicate, and he does this through a letter, to the exiles from Jerusalem who are now living in Babylon. The message that Jeremiah has for the people once again goes completely counter to the common wisdom and to the false prophet's message. Because the false prophets who have traveled with the exiles into Babylon are now telling the exiles, we're only going to be here two years. Don't worry. It's, it's good. God says, no, it's going to be 70 years. But even then, Jeremiah, in the midst of this, you know, what I'm sure would have been discouraging news for the exiles, even in the midst of this, Jeremiah also has words of hope from the Lord to sustain them. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem into Babylon, says the Lord. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they may have sons and daughters. Increase in numbers there. Do not decrease. And seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Prior to this, this time, you know, when the people of Jerusalem prayed, uh, and you can see this in the Psalms, they prayed for the peace of Jerusalem. They're not in Jerusalem anymore, and so God says, now you pray for Babylon. Because if Babylon prospers, you will prosper. God's message to the exiles is, you are now in a new situation, recognize it, accept it, and make the most of it. Find blessing there. 
and be a blessing there. You're not going to go back. You can only go forward. And I think that is a message to God's people in all times and in every situation. When you find yourself in a place that you didn't foresee, when you find yourself in a place that you don't necessarily want to be, trust God. Trust that God will bless you there. Trust that God will bless you in your new situation. I'll tell you what the initial response of the people of Israel was. We, we know what that, their response was because we read about it in Psalm 137. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat, we hung up our harps, and we wept. And then they prayed that the Babylonian kid, children would have their heads bashed down. They were angry. They were distressed. They were depressed. And instead, God says, don't waste your time on that. Fill your waiting. And this is a message to the, the, the exiles in Jerusalem, but I think it's a, a universal message when we find ourselves in a situation that we didn't plan for. Fill your time there with positive, productive, faithful, good, and godly activity so that you will find blessing where you are, not where you were, and so you can be a blessing where you are. Uh, listen to what he says. This is the word of the Lord. Build, here you are in captivity. Build houses. Settle down. Marry. Have children. Find spouses for your kids. Look to the needs of the next generation. Don't be so absorbed by your own pain or sorrow or anger or disappointment or longing for the past that you fail to do what you can do now for them, for yourselves, and for others. The time of exile, the time of being in a place that we don't want to be, is meant to be a time of increase, not of decrease. So, God says through Jeremiah, accept your new situation as your new situation. And invest yourself there. Invest yourself in the opportunities that that new situation gives you. Do not waste your God-given time and your God-given opportunities viewing this new situation as pointless or as downtime. It's very much like the counsel that the Apostle Paul offers to the church in Ephesus when he writes in Ephesians chapter 5, be very careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. And what's the difference? Making the most of every opportunity. Wherever you find yourself, even if it's a place that you don't want to be. Don't get lost in depression. Don't imagine that it's pointless. Don't imagine that your life is over. Now, this text is, is important for me, for me uh, in this season of my life, and I think it's important for our congregation in this season of our life together. Because it really gives me, uh, I think, an opportunity to address how I hope I will cope and how I hope each of you and Stonebridge as a whole, uh, as a whole 
will respond to my retirement uh, and also to some of the unfortunate delays that we have uh, experienced with our renovation and building projects because, um, you know, for a lot of us, this isn't a place where we thought we would be right now. Thought we'd be in a different place. Um, one of the things that, that Peg and I have been talking about is, you know, um, we're going to be in a new place. And it's going to be a place that we have never been before. We've never retired. <laughs> uh, wonder what that's going to be like. And the truth is, we don't know. People are always asking, what are you going to do when you retire? You know what my answer is? I don't know. And I don't. I know that there's some things that we want to do. You know, I want to take a nap for about a month, I think. That would be good. Um, but, you know, we want to travel. We want to do, do some things, of course. But we don't know exactly what we want to do. Uh, but you know what? I'm not terribly worried about that. Because I think, uh, I know, God's going to bless us and use us to be a blessing to other people in our new situation. Even if I don't know how. And I may not know for, you know, a while. But I trust God to do that because God's been faithful. Why should God be any different now? And I think that's true for our congregation as, as a whole. You know, don't, don't you guys think for a moment, please, you know, this is really important to me as your pastor right now. Don't think for a moment that the interim period between my leaving and uh, your calling the next senior pastor is downtime. Don't think that it is a time when nothing's going to happen, nothing can happen. You know, listen to what uh, the Lord says through the prophet Jeremiah to his people. You know, build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat from the produce, do stuff. Think about the next generation. Use that time, he would say to us, I think. Use that time to build the church to build relationships with one another. You know, if you haven't done it, it, you know, while I've been here, maybe start inviting people, bringing people even better. And then when they show up on campus, welcoming them and making friendships with them. And for yourselves, build and strengthen your relationships with one another in the church family. And how can you do that? I can think of all kinds of ways. You know, one way if, uh, is go on the encounter weekend. Right now, you can be preparing for our church's future. If you've never been on an encounter weekend, sign up for it and go. Get closer to God. Get closer to members of the church. Build and strengthen those relationships so that we have a robust and vital church community. Build and strengthen your relationships in our church family by leading, and maybe that's too ambitious, by hosting, or at the very least, attending a growth group. If you've never been in a growth group before, now is the time. This weekend, we have sign-ups. We're starting an outstanding new message series in exactly two weeks, Selfies of the Savior. We're looking at the great I Am statements in the Gospel of John, where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the true vine. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the door. Those are great things to talk about. And be a part of a growth group. You'll get so much more out of the messages, but it's not just about you. 
You know, you can invest in other people, people's lives here at Stonebridge, and they can invest in you, and you can pray for one another, and you can pray together for the church. I encourage you, if you've never done it before, volunteer and serve. We've got just a couple of weeks away now an outreach to Ashley, Villa, uh, Ashley Manor, and those people love Stonebridge Community Church. And you don't have to stay there all, all day. You know, if you can only show up for an hour or so, just a vacuum behind somebody's refrigerator, that's okay. But be there and show God's love in a practical way. Don't hang your harps on the trees and weep and say, you know, gosh, if only we were in Jerusalem. Make a difference today. And make a difference today in one another's lives by following the great one another commands that we find in the New Testament. Pray for one another. Encourage one another. Love one another. Edify, build up one another. I want to encourage you, during this time, trust God. Trust God and trust the leaders that God has put in place here to oversee our church family during this transition. We have an outstanding session. And they are making wise and loving uh, decisions about our church family and its future. Work with them to move Christ's mission forward. See, here's the thing, and this is, I think this is universally true. God does great things. God has done great things throughout history. But before God brings great blessings to his people, he prepares them to be ready to receive them. God doesn't give great blessings to people who are just going to waste them. He prepares his people first so that when those great blessings come, they can leverage them, make the most of them, exercise thoughtful stewardship over that which has been entrusted to their care. And so, God says to the people of Jerusalem in exile in Babylon, and so God says to us, listen to this word, a word to people who find themselves in situations that they didn't necessarily plan to be or don't necessarily want to be. Increase in number. Do not decrease. How's that for a countercultural message? An unexpected message. Increase in number. Do not decrease. Don't get, you know, don't get so caught up in you know, yourself, your feelings, your agenda, you know, whatever, that you fail to think about the needs of the next generation. Use the time wisely. Don't waste it. Trust that God will bless you. Trust that God will bless our church. And trust that God will use you and this church to be a blessing to others, not a year from now or whenever the new pastor comes, but in our new situation. Here, now. Don't waste it. Now, God also tells Jeremiah uh, to convey a second powerful truth to his people that I think also speaks to our present situation. Listen to what he says. Yes, this, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. 
This is what God says, not the false prophets. What does God say? Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams that you encourage them to have. Wow, think about that for a second. Where are the false prophets getting their messages? Yeah, they're just telling people what they want to hear. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams that you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. Now, what's the lesson here? In my judgment, the lesson is this, that we need to learn the difference between true biblical hope and wishful thinking. When we find ourselves in a place we didn't necessarily plan to be, we need to know the difference between biblical hope and wishful thinking. And what's the difference between biblical hope and wishful thinking? Let's look at wishful thinking too. You know what wishful thinking is? Wishful thinking is just this self generated product of our own imaginations. It's all about what we wish we were true. Biblical hope, on the other hand, is rooted in reality. And it's grounded in God. God's word through Jeremiah is that his people avoid false hope. And why is that? Because false hopes Wishful thinking will always disappoint you. It will always disappoint you. And why is that? Because false hope and wishful thinking isn't based on reality. It isn't based on what's true. It's all about what we wish were true. What is it that Jesus said? You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's not that... Well, you'll wish that this stuff will happen and that'll set you free. As a matter of fact, you wish stuff that will happen and it's not based on the truth. It will just disappoint you and it will undermine your faith. False hope is dangerous for that reason. False hope, wishful thinking is dangerous because it, it undermines faith. It puts words in God's mouth that he doesn't say. It sets us up for disappointment by attributing a promise to God that God never made. You know, as, as part of um, our, our training as, as pastors, um, and this is true f- not just for me, but for Pastor uh, Jonathan and Pastor Cynthia as well, one of the requirements is that we go through a, a period of kind of clinical education. It's called pastoral clinical education, which uh, we have opportunities while we're in seminary to go and work in hospitals. I di- actually did a huge amount of, of CPE uh, even after um, my seminary graduation. But basically, um, you have opportunities to go into to hospitals or other institutions um, and work with patients and learn about pastoral conversations and, uh, and how your own st- you need to be aware of your own stuff so you're not reading things into situations that aren't there. So that when you actually offer pastoral care to people, it's helpful that you, you offer them true biblical hope and not false hope. And one of the things that, that's tempting for, for 
anyone who loves somebody to do is somebody's, you know, in a hospital and they've just been told they have a terminal illness. You know, the last thing in the world you want to do is, you know, is to, to see them go through that. And you just, you know, wish with all your heart that, that things were different. And some people feel so strongly about that that they'll actually sit down and say, you know what, it's going to be okay. You're going to get through this. Next year at this time, you'll be skiing again, you know, even though they never skied in their life or, you know, whatever. But people do that. That's false hope. Can God work miracles? Absolutely. Should we presume that we know that God's going to work a miracle in this particular case? Absolutely not. Because we're putting words in God's mouth that he absolutely didn't say. You know, we find ourselves in a, in a place we never thought we would be. We don't need false assurances, and we don't need people blowing smoke. We need biblical hope. We need to know what the gospel says. We need to know who God is. We need to rely on and trust in the true, real promises of God, not wishful thinking. There's a huge difference between biblical hope and false hope. The false hope that there is a quick, simple, painless solution to every problem. If we believe that, we are not grounding our lives in reality. The false hope that great things are easy. They never are. The false hope that great things are easy, that they don't take time, that they don't require patience and sacrifice and commitment. You know, this is why in some ways uh, I'm not surprised. Uh, while I'm a little bit disappointed, I, I'm not surprised that, you know, we, we bump up against some um, obstacles to, uh, to the REACH campaign and our, our building project and so on. That's just the way the world works. That happens. Great things you know, miracles never happen in a rush. Great things take time, and they're, they're not easy, and they do require patience and trust in the Lord. You know, this is why the prophet Jeremiah railed against the false prophets, because they just took it upon themselves to, to proclaim stuff that God never said. Peace, peace, when there is no peace. It's going to be all right, the false prophet said. They just repeat the words, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. As long as we got the temple of the Lord, it's going to be good. That wasn't God's word to them. God's word was repent. Turn from idolatry. Turn from wickedness. True hope is always based on the revealed word of God. And let me tell you something about the revealed word of God. The revealed word of God is enough. It doesn't necessarily tell us what's going to happen immediately, you know, tomorrow, next week, or whatever, but it tells us that no matter what happens, God is there, God loves us, God will care for us. For all those who trust in him, we have nothing ultimately to worry about, even if the worst should come. Jim Collins in includes a, a really amazing chapter um, in, it, it's actually one of my favorite books. It's a nerdy business book, which, it, you know, it's kind of funny that it's like made it on my top 10 list, but it really has a book called Good to Great. 
was written, I think, around 2000 or so. One of the chapters in this book uh, focuses on the fact that great companies, and this is the, the chapter title, confront the brutal facts yet never lose faith. Confront the brutal facts but never lose faith. He quotes Winston Churchill's observation that there is no worse mistake in leadership than to hold out false hopes soon to be swept away. You know, that's one of the, the amazing things about Winston Churchill is he took um, Britain through the darkest days of the Second World War, all the way through its conclusion, and he always gave people hope, but it was never false hope. He never t told them it was going to be easy or simple or quick or costly. But he never lost hope. And the people of Britain never lost hope because they knew that his testimony was trustworthy. In this book, Good to Great, Jim Collins tells the story of Admiral James Stockdale. You know that name? He was a vice presidential candidate in 1992, better known as being the highest ranking military officer in the Hanoi Hilton prisoner of war camp during the height of the Vietnam War. Admirable, Admiral Stockdale, Admirable Admiral Stockdale, was imprisoned in the Hanoi Hilton from 1965 to 1973. That's eight years. Think back. What were you doing? What all have you been doing since 2010? And that's the period of time that he was imprisoned. During uh, those eight years, he was uh, tortured over 20 times. By the way, this is the same Hanoi Hilton um, in which um, Senator McCain was also imprisoned. He was asked by Jim Collins for this book how he survived, and, and Stockdale answered, I never lost faith in the end of the story. I never lost faith in the end of the story. If, if you find yourself right now in a place you never thought you would be, you didn't plan to be here, situation you never uh, could have imagined that, that you would be in, I want you to hear those words. Don't lose faith in the end of the story. He was asked by Collins about the people who didn't make it out. And Stock, you know, who were they? Stockdale answered, that's easy. The optimists. Does that mean the pessimists? No, he's not talking about being a pessimist. He went on to explain that the optimists were the ones who were always saying, Christmas is coming, we'll surely be out by Christmas. And then Christmas came and they were still there. And so then they would say, well, we'll be out by Easter. And they would just try to encourage you, we'll be out by Easter. And Easter came and Easter went and they were still there. And that happened year after year after year, and none of it was true. Until Stockdale says, they pretty much died of a broken heart. And why was that? Because they put all their energy in false hopes, in wishful thinking, rather than trusting the end of the story. And so Stockdale's message was this, never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose. Hear that? Never 
Never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the facts of your current reality, whatever that might be. You know, just to be able to say, this is terrible. I hate this. I don't want to be here. But not lose faith in the end of the story. That's the difference between biblical hope and wishful thinking. One is rooted in reality and grounded in God. The other one is not. And it's biblical hope. It is biblical hope based on the character of God and based on the true promises of God that sustains us and allows us to prevail when we find ourselves in a situation that we never thought we'd be. Let's take a, a little listen as Carrie shares her story. This verse has a powerful impact on my life. For one thing, my mother died when I was 16, and that verse gave me peace and hope. I'm going, and I'm going through college. It has given me a future and a hope. I had a stroke in 44 years old, and my right side is weakened and my speech is impaired. I had done quilting before I had a stroke, and I couldn't do quilting anymore. But Kelly Mako, who is my Bible study group at the time, says, why don't you teach quilting? And I was something I like to do. So I had a quilting class for the ladies in my group. Sometime later, I got into Tom Fabrizio's study group, and he showed us a clip on global media outreach online missionary, and I applied from online missionary volunteer missionary work. I did it so fast. That was God telling me to tell others about him, and I did that for six to seven years. Then I am 50 three years old in 2013 and I was inspired by God to write spiritual papers for what I am doing the computer cards for the congregational care team. The Holy Spirit made this happen through Kelly Mako, my deacon. She got me the name of Joyce Maller who does the group. The future is ongoing. Events can occur regularly, occur in life. It seems to sort God's plan for your life. In those times, only God can give the proper interpretation of what's happening. Sometimes interpretation comes years after the event. Trust God for your peace, hope, and a future. I think that's an incredibly inspiring story. I want you to think about this for a second. Here is Carrie. She's 44 years old. She's raising her kids, and she has a stroke um, that's pretty debilitating. Um, and as you could tell, she still suffers from some deficits as a, a result of that stroke. Um, it's affected her speech. It's affected um, you know, her uh, um, motion on her right side and so on. But rather than long for the past, um, rather than be consumed by grief, um, she chose to believe God's promise. 
I know the plans I have for you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And so embracing that promise. You know, she went on to do some extraordinary stuff. I mean, it kind of started, it started out, you know, in, in a growth group. She was a quilter, and she knew, I'm not going to be able to quilt anymore. But rather than saying, I can't quilt anymore, she said, you know what? I can teach other people how to quilt. She recognized that, you know, maybe she couldn't speak the way that she once had, but that didn't take her voice away from her. She got involved because of a suggestion from one of the members of our church in a global outreach mission. And talk with me about this mission after worship service today. It is amazing. For seven years, she's doing outreach to people in other countries where the gospel is pretty much forbidden. And Carrie was a voice for Christian faith in those places. It's extraordinary. When, when um, time, as time moved on, she started writing articles and posted those on the internet. And now, you know, serving our local church family, you know, so many of us feel like, oh, I can't do this, I don't have time for that, I'm too busy, you know, I'm not, not equipped or whatever. She saw a need in our con- congregation for people, you know, who are going through really difficult times to have a, a word of encouragement and hope. So she's sending out cards to people as part of our congregational care team. Let people know we're praying for you and we love you. You know, Carrie's, to me, she's just inspiring. And, and her inspiring story, I think, is an invitation for each and every one of us. It's an invitation to, that, to embrace God's clear and settled plan. God's clear and settled plan to bring peace. The peace that we all long for. The the peace that our hearts long for. When we find ourselves in a place we never could have imagined and never ever thought we would be. God's word to the people of Jerusalem during the time of their time of exile can be God's word to us as well. And it is not, notice, it is not wishful thinking. Carrie didn't build her life around, well, one day I'm going to be just the way I was. It wasn't built on wishful thinking. It was based on God's promises and God's character and God's revealed word, and it was based on biblical truth. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. Listen to that promise of God. You'll come and call on me and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. You know, if you are going through a tough time and if you found yourself in a place you never thought you would be, Remember that God has a clear and settled plan for those who belong to him. And God says, I know the plans. In the Hebrew, you know, you you can't quite tell it in English. In Hebrew, that's emphatic. 
I myself know. Not just something I wish for or, or long for. God is saying, I myself know the plans I have for you, the clear and settled plan. And it is to prosper us. Now, let me say something about the word prosper because it's one of those words that could be very easily misunderstood. I don't think it's a good translation. Plans to prosper us. Because for some people, it sort of uh, brings about that idea of the prosperity gospel. You ever heard of that? I hope not, but if you have, <laughs> either way. Uh, prosperity gospel is this belief that's not biblical, by the way, that says, you know, if I just believe in God and claim his promises that I'm going to be wealthy and have material blessing come my way, et cetera, et cetera. And you probably, you know, many of you heard something about that. This is what God's saying here. Uh, it's not a good trans translation if we imagine that it refers to material blessings. The word that is translated prosper is the Hebrew word. You ready for this? Shalom. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for your shalom. And what is shalom? Uh, there's a, a great guy who was a, a member of Stonebridge a number of years ago, Hugh Pease. You, you guys remember, anybody here remember Hugh Pease? Ico Pease's um, husband. And uh, Hugh, maybe because of his last name, I don't know, used to talk about peace all the time. And one of the things that he talked about, and it was really be based on his understanding, and it was a pretty good understanding of this Hebrew word shalom, is that it doesn't mean the absence of conflict. It means the presence of blessing. You know, just like a garden isn't a plot of ground that doesn't have any weeds, you know, that's a parking lot. A garden is something where all of this great stuff is growing, where you see beauty and, and the fruit and productivity and all this kind of thing. That's shalom. That's what God wants for us. It's what God wants to bring into our lives. It's what God wants to use us to bring into other people's lives. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. It's not about material blessing. It may include that, but it doesn't have to. It's to bring shalom to you and through you to bring shalom to others. God's sure and settled plan for us is to bring us shalom. And just so we will understand, God then goes on to say, it is not to harm us. God isn't interested in hurting anyone. God's heart is to bless us. What did Jesus say? Peace I bring you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives peace do I bring you my peace. Even though those words were recorded in Greek, they were spoken in Aramaic. And Aramaic, pretty darn close to Hebrew. You know what word he used when he said that? Shalom, y'all. Shalom I bring you. My shalom I bring you. Not as the world, but my shalom. Whatever hard times we may find ourselves in, whatever we're going through, when we find ourselves in that place we never thought we would be, that is a place where God is inviting us to remember him and to trust him and to call on him 
and to pray to him, promising that when we pray to him, he will listen. They are the places where we can seek and where we will find him if we seek him with all our hearts. You know, it's what Jesus said, knock and the door will be open. Seek and you will find. Ask, it will be given to you. God promises to hear the prayers of his people who find themselves in a place they never thought they would be, but never forget the end of the story and continue to trust in him. If you seek me, you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart. Notice that with all your heart. It can't be a heartless search. It's not just something we do in our head. It's not just some, you know, late night college discussion about whether or not God exists. That's not seeking him with all of our heart. That's just having a discussion. It is not a half-hearted search in which we're kind of blasé about it. It's not a double-hearted search where on the one hand, yeah, I really want to know God, but on the other hand, there's all this other stuff that's just as important, if not more. No, God doesn't say, if you seek me with no heart or half a heart or a divided heart, you'll find me. He, that's not, not a biblical promise. That's wishful thinking. The biblical promise is, if you seek me with all your heart. Everything that God does is according to his sure and settled plan to bring us the shalom that our hearts long for. This is a shalom. This is a peace that we ultimately find in Jesus Christ. Because I think when God spoke the words to the exiles in Jerusalem, he had Jesus in mind. I know the plans I have for you. Plans to bring you shalom. What did the angels sing? And on earth, shalom. Goodwill among those whom he calls. God has a sure and settled plan to bring the shalom that our hearts long for. It is a shalom that we find in Jesus Christ. It is a shalom that reminds us that no matter what we are going through, even when we find ourselves in a place that we never planned to be, that there is nothing in all creation that is able to separate us from the love of God, which is ours through Jesus Christ, our Lord.